morning. How's everyone? Awesome. So, there were two announcements that I had before we uh, open the word. First, if you are going to go to Belize and you've been thinking, yeah, I think I want to go, and you haven't talked to me, please talk to me today. Some of you have talked to me and said you're not going to be able to make it, and I thank you for, for letting me know. But if you are thinking about going and you just haven't mentioned it to me yet, uh, please do that today. We're going to start having planning meetings. Number two, and I don't know where it went. I was going to stand up here with a book, our life group books. There was a box up here, and the box disappeared. So if anyone knows where the box went, let me know. But we hopefully have life group books available today. Our life groups start on January 18th, and we're going to be going through a book called Discipling. It's going to be great. Um, So, sorry to make you stand, but would you stand with me while we pray? Heavenly Father, on this first Sunday of 2020, we pray for all the churches around the world, and we ask that your word would go forth in power today and this year and pierce the hearts of many. We ask that you would call many into your kingdom today, and we ask that you would call many to repentance, that you would turn wandering hearts back to you. God, we ask that especially that this would happen in northern Belize with the churches we've partnered with there. Holy Spirit, refresh them this morning and speak to them through your word. We also ask this for the churches in our community here in O'Fallon and in St. Louis. May we all shine brightly and be bold today as the word is preached. May our worship be pleasing. Yeah, we pray for um, our church family here, those that are sick and unable to be here today. Um, We ask that you, in your grace and mercy, would let the sickness pass quickly. They'd be able to rejoin us. You'd bless them today. And we also pray for our members that are traveling and unable to be here for various reasons. God, um, please bring them back safely. And Jesus, finally, we... We ask as we look at your word this morning that our body of believers here, that we would be moved by your Holy Spirit. Help us to behold you this morning and glimpse your glory. Awaken those of us who have fallen asleep, call those who are wandering back, and move us all to be in awe of who you are. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Am I, am I loud? I feel loud up here. No? All right. So I'm excited to have the privilege of preaching on the first Sunday of 2020. It's awesome. Um, one year ago, Pastor Vaughn retired, and we started kind of a new a journey of sorts here. And we spent most of the last year talking about um, the church's vision. We've seen a lot of exciting things happen. Uh, I've gotten to go out with Pray and Go quite a few times, and it's been a blessing but as we go into this new year, I believe it's appropriate for us to turn our focus to our foundation. Anyone know what that is? Jesus. That's right. The centrality of our faith, Jesus Christ. I was reading in 1 Corinthians um, somewhat recently, and the first three chapters really jumped out at me. Um, we all know that Jesus is central to our faith. He is what Christianity is all about. But I think it's easy to forget that, whether it's intellectually, emotionally, or in practice. 
And in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, um, Paul writes about Jesus. Um, He writes about the wisdom of the world and uh, a lot of things. But he says that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And through chapters 1 and 2, we see that God calls the weak, not the strong. We're told to boast not in ourselves, but in Jesus. And our faith is supposed to not rest on man's wisdom, but God's power. Again, Jesus Christ. He is crucial. And then in chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Um, as I read that earlier, uh, it was actually last year, I just felt that as we start the year, we need to start looking at our foundation, which is Jesus. It is the foundation that we have to lay when we're building the church. Jesus is that foundation uh, when we are going out and reaching the lost. Jesus is the center of the church, and if we get away from him, if we get away from the gospel and we build our church on other things, we will fail. And I don't want us to fail. Um, So we have to be careful not to build our church on ideas or things that are not about Jesus. One day our work is going to be shown for what it is, And I don't want it to be burned up. I don't want my work to be burned up. Um, I want there to be fruit that is shown to be true. And this isn't just about our church. It's about you. It's about our personal lives. If you don't build your life on Jesus, your life is going to crumble. If your walk with him, if our walk with him is missing, if it's broken, if our Bible sits unread, we're not going to be able to build up the church We're not going to grow in Christ. We're not going to be able to reach the lost. We're not going to be able to do any of those things without Jesus. So as we enter 2020 on this first Sunday, I want us to focus our hearts on Jesus. And sometimes I think, uh, I love what you shared earlier, David, um, the remember, remember, remember. Because when you read scripture, a lot of times they're just calling into remembrance things that they already know. And we need to remember who Jesus is. We need a reminder. I think if we, if we dwell on and we remember who Jesus is, we can't help but respond in worship. We can't help but go and share him with people. He is truly more magnificent than anything else in the world, and we need to remember that. Now, all of Scripture points to Jesus, so when I decided I wanted to go this way, I had the entire Bible at my disposal. But we're not going to read the entire Bible this morning. Instead, we are going to look at one chapter, and we're going to walk through that chapter and see what it has to say about Jesus. And that chapter is Revelation chapter 1. So if you want to turn there, this is where we're going to spend our morning. Now let me say, Revelation is an 
intimidating book to preach through, and uh, I do not intend to bring out everything that is in Revelation chapter 1. I intend this morning to try to draw out everything we see about Jesus in chapter 1 in roughly 30 minutes. Um, So we're going to start and we're going to be focusing on what Revelation 1 says about Jesus. So I'm going to read the first three verses and then we'll talk about that for a little bit. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So this is the revelation of Jesus. The Jesus who is supposed to be our foundation. So this is the revealing that which is hidden. So we need to pay careful attention. As it says in verse 3, blessed are the ones that read the words of this prophecy. So as we read this this morning... You are blessed. There's a blessing that comes with that. And blessed are the ones who hear it as you listen to uh, this being preached this morning. And three, blessed are those who take to heart what is written in it. So what does it mean to take to heart, to put into action, to do something with what you've been given, with what you've heard? So if you take something to heart, you let it change you and your emotions and your actions. Something comes out of it. So this was given to John, um, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John here is testifying to God and to Jesus. Uh, Let's keep reading in verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So John writes this to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Asia. There were seven churches, but um, it's believed that it was referring to not only the seven actual churches, but meaning to imply the fullness of all the churches, as seven represents uh, fullness. We also see right here a glimpse of the Trinity, grace and peace from God, the one who is and who was and who is to come, grace and peace from what is believed to be the Holy Spirit. In reading the context and looking at the options, this is the one that makes the most sense. Um, The seven likely refers to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then grace and peace from Jesus. So you have the whole Trinity there. And then we start getting descriptions of Jesus. It says that Jesus is the faithful witness. Okay, Jesus is the faithful witness. He can't lie. Jesus can't lie. He is faithful and true. So we can trust his testimony 100%. If Jesus says something, it's true. It will come to pass. 
He came to bear witness for the Father, and he is faithful in doing that. And do you know what that means for us? And for you as an individual? If Jesus has said something, he will fulfill it. When you read the word, it's true. Jesus will do what he says. He is faithful to fulfill it. He's not like any other person that we know. People fail us. Even people that are really faithful still fail us. Jesus doesn't. He tells the truth and he does what he says he does. Um, When he says there's no way to the Father except through him, he's telling the truth. When he says, come to me those who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. When he says he's always going to be with us, everything else he says, we can trust him. We can count on him. He is the faithful witness. Jesus is also the firstborn from the dead. He was the first to rise from the dead with a resurrection body. Jesus is also the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. If you think of all the rulers on the earth, the power they have, the power that Donald Trump has as president, any of the other rulers in their countries, ultimately Jesus has authority over all of them. His authority and his rule and his power are unmatched. Jesus, we see, loves us. Jesus loves us. Let us not forget this amazing fact. We, who rebelled against him, are still loved by him. In fact, Jesus loves us so much, it says that he freed us from our sin by his blood. Okay, Jesus freed us by his blood. The gospel is so important and central to everything in our lives and in Scripture, Jesus freed us from our sins by his blood, by giving his own life for us. This is not something we deserved. I did not deserve for Jesus to come and die for me. I didn't. Jake didn't. Laura didn't. Dave didn't. We didn't deserve what Jesus did, but he did it anyway. He gave his life. He set us free. He set you free, and it cost him. And Jesus not only loves us and set us free by giving his life for us, Jesus made us to be something. He made you to be something. He has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God, to whom be all glory and power forever and ever. Amen. You. He made you to be a part of his kingdom, part of his kingdom here, a priest to serve God. So if you're in here and you've received salvation... You've received the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, Jesus made you to serve God. He made you to be a part of his kingdom. He didn't save you so that you could keep living for yourself and following the ways of the world and doing whatever you want down the path of destruction. He saved you, and you get to serve the king and be a part of the kingdom. That's what you've been called to now. Um, Jesus is coming, it says... With the clouds. Now, clouds were used at the time as symbols of majesty. Among heathens, it was common for them to represent their believed divinities as being clothed with a cloud. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of like gods and stuff. They've got kind of clouds wrapped around them. Um, so the coming on the clouds here seems to try to paint a picture of the majesty and the glory of Jesus. When he returns, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be glorious and Every single eye is going to see him. And with his coming, Scripture says that everyone is going to mourn. 
as they look on the one whom they have sinned against. Because if it, there's so much majesty and glory, how could we have sinned against such a great God? And of course, there's going to be even more mourning for those who have not trusted in Christ because he is coming to judge. We also see in verse 8 that Jesus applies deity to himself. In case it wasn't already clear, it's Jesus speaking, um, just as God is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the one who is and was and is to come, so Jesus is. He says this of himself, that he is God. Um, Verse 9 says, I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So here John speaks to us. He speaks to his fellow believers, and he identifies things that belong to us. He's our companion in suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance. And he says those things are ours in Jesus. Just as Jesus suffered, and as the kingdom is his, and as he was patient and he endured all things, as we follow him, we have to be ready for the same. And believers all around the world, much more so than we are, can identify with the suffering. But John is here on the island in prison because of Jesus, because of the word of God, because he was faithful to Jesus. He is now in prison. And he stayed faithful to Jesus even though it meant going to prison. Uh, Verses 10 and 11, it says, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, hmm, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so here John was, First day of the week, it was like a Sunday for us, and he receives a vision. He hears a loud voice, like a trumpet, and he's told to write the stuff that he's about to see, to write what he saw, and then send it to the churches. So, when you read Revelation, you need to remember that John is about to attempt to write and describe things that are almost indescribable. He's seeing stuff, and then he's got to describe it with words. Who has seen something totally beautiful before in your life? All right. Steve, one of the Steves, I don't care which one. What's one of the most beautiful things you've ever seen besides your wife? (laughs) Mountains of Colorado. Okay. Do you think you could really do justice to someone trying to describe the mountains of Colorado with words? No, it's hard. Zion National Park, which is one of my favorite national parks, Trying to describe that to someone with words is nearly impossible. Even if you show someone a picture. I remember seeing a picture of Zion and, and I just I had to go. And when I got there, it was breathtaking. And the picture didn't do it justice. But if I tried to describe to somebody with words Zion National Park, it would fall way short. And so John has a very difficult task in front of him here as he's attempting to describe the things that he's seeing in his vision to describe them with words. So he tries to use words that would make people think about different things and, and imagine it correctly. So you have to keep that in mind as you read Revelation and as you read these upcoming descriptions of Jesus. So we'll read verses 12 through 18 and then we'll go back through them. So this is John. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, 
And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. As John starts, the first thing he tries to describe is Jesus. He turns to see who's talking to him with a voice like a trumpet. So that doesn't mean that Jesus' voice sounded like somebody was blowing a trumpet. Okay? But the voice of Jesus is like the voice of a trumpet. What does that mean? A trumpet was clear. It was loud. It was distinct. Trumpets were distinguished for their clearness of sounds. And it was used to call assemblies together and for marshalling hosts to battle. So when it says the voice of Jesus is like the voice of a trumpet, Jesus' voice was loud and it was clear. There's not ambiguity. There's no question who is speaking. When Jesus speaks to us, it's clear. And when we read his words in Scripture, we don't need to question them. We need to obey them. And as I read that, I, I thought of my experience as a kid, since I don't have kids yet, um, my experience as a kid, sometimes my parents would tell me to do something. And there was clarity in what they said, but I didn't always do exactly what they said. Or when they wanted it done, I tried to, you know, kind of take the easy way out. And I'm sure parents here are familiar with this. You ask your kids to wash the dishes, clean their rooms, take out the trash, something else. Maybe it sort of gets done. Maybe it, it gets done eventually. Um, but it, when they don't do it right, it's usually not because you weren't clear. Am I right? <laughs> Amen. Um, it's because they didn't really want to do it. And Jesus speaks to clarity with us in the scriptures. And a lot of times it's not that Jesus isn't clear, it's that we just don't want to do it for one reason or another. So Jesus' voice is loud and clear. And John hears this voice and he turns. And he sees seven golden lampstands. And the lampstands represented the churches. And I love how the lampstand is used to represent the church. Um, Mike was talking about, you know, city on a hill earlier that can't be hidden. We're supposed to be the light of the world. So the church is a lampstand to give off light, the light of someone else. And among them was someone like a son of man, Jesus. We are supposed to, as churches, give off the light of Jesus and it says that Jesus wore a robe that reached down to his feet, and he had a golden sash around his chest. Now, what is John trying to describe here? Uh, maybe Jesus really was wearing a robe with a golden sash around it. But high priests would wear robes that reached down to their feet, and kings and royalty would wear 
golden sashes and long robes. So there's an imagery here of both a king and a priest. He's not wearing a crown in this depiction, though he is later. Um, It would seem that the picture that is being painted is that Jesus is great and glorious and deserving of honor and respect. Um, But we also see that high priest there. And what what would high priests do? They would go and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And what did Jesus do? He offered the final sacrifice himself for the sins of the whole world. Jesus was and is the final, ultimate, and complete sacrifice for our sins, for your sins. There's nothing else that needs to be done for your sin. There's no paying off your sins with money. There's no performing good works to get rid of them. Nothing. Jesus was and is the only and final sacrifice for your sins. He paid with his life. It is complete. Trusting in him is all that must be done. Jesus' head and his hair were white like wool, but as white as snow. And we see this description as well in Daniel chapter 7. As I looked, the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. So, guys, share with me. How do you normally get white hair? (laughs) Age. It happens with age, right? Jesus has been forever. Okay, Jesus has been forever. In ancient cultures, white hair signified wisdom. Signified wisdom. Jesus has been forever and Jesus has all wisdom. Proverbs says that white hair is a crown of glory. Jesus had white hair. So, brothers and sisters, do you need wisdom? Yes, I need wisdom. It is available. There is someone who has it. His name is Jesus. Ask him. Search God's word. The wisdom of Jesus is here. Jesus' eyes, it says, are like blazing fire. They are bright. They are sharp. They are penetrating. Jesus sees all things. He sees all things. Nothing escapes his gaze. Jesus knows all. You can't hide from him. You can't hide secrets from him. He sees you and he knows every thought. He sees and knows all the thoughts of men. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Jesus is all-knowing. He knows everything about you and about me. So whatever you were doing yesterday when no one was around, Jesus saw that and he knows. And whatever you were thinking this week, that no one else knows about, whatever you've been wrestling with in your heart, Jesus knows. Whatever you're thinking about right now as I talk about the secrets of your heart and stuff runs through your mind, Jesus knows. You can't hide it. Nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes. And this, knowing this about Jesus by itself, would be terrifying if we didn't know everything else about him. But knowing what we do and what we've read even just so far today, it's reassuring that Jesus knows. He loves us. Why try to hide from him? Just open up. Talk to him. He already knows and he still loves you. Jesus is absolutely pure. The imagery here with the bronze 
of his feet glowing in a furnace, bronze would have been purified in a furnace. We already know that Jesus was without sin, but um, that's, that's what we're seeing here. And think about this for a moment. Jesus, if you really, if you really ponder this, Jesus had no sin. No sin. It's hard to wrap your mind around that because we don't know anyone else without sin. But Jesus is pure. No sin. He knows all things. He has no sin. He loves you. He's good. Everything he's going to do is good because he has no sin. So you can trust that Jesus is going to do good because there is no sin in him. You don't have to worry about Jesus ever sinning against you. Or doing anything wrong because he is absolutely pure. And Jesus' power is absolute. Again, the image of bronze is one of power and strength and glory. So you add this to him, the pure one, the one without sin who loves you and knows you and is good, is also all-powerful. Jesus is not weak. He's not unable to help you. Whatever it is that's going on in your life, whatever sin struggle, whatever pain you're dealing with, whatever it is, he is not unable to help. He is pure, he is good, he is all-powerful, and he needs to be the first place we turn when we are in need. Jesus' voice is full of authority. God's voice is compared in Scripture to the sound of rushing waters in many other places, and we see it here with Jesus' voice. Um, It's describing power and authority. And in Jesus' right hand are seven stars, or seven messengers. Uh, I read a lot of different commentaries on this, and the most consistent thought is that this is uh, the pastors of the seven churches that it's talking about. And it's crazy to think that Jesus holds them in his right hand, which is comforting because he cares for his church. And it says that out of Jesus' mouth came a double-edged sword, which makes us think of Hebrews chapter 4. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And this is the penetrating power of God's word. And it proceeds out of the mouth of Jesus. His words are true and they are powerful. And there is no resisting the power and authority and piercingness of Jesus when he speaks. Jesus' face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. How many of y'all have looked at the sun for more than 10 seconds? If you have, you're probably blind or partially blind, okay? It is brilliant. It is blinding. And it is beautiful. But you can hardly look at it because of its power. Jesus' face is so powerful and glorious and full of splendor that I believe in the same way we could barely look upon him. I mean, you see John's response. When John saw Jesus, he fell at his feet as though dead. He was completely overwhelmed by what, or should we say who, he saw. He couldn't handle it. Imagine standing before Jesus in all of his glory as a sinful human. It would be overwhelming and terrifying. But Jesus places his hand on him, and he speaks to him, and he says, Do not be afraid. And truly, for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, we need not 
fear him. He says, he is, as he says, the first and the last, the one who died but came back to life and will live forever and ever, the one who holds the keys of death and Hades, which is great news for his children who trust in him. Great news that he has victory over power, victory and power over death and hell. Jesus has the first word in history. It says in Colossians, he is the firstborn over all creation. By him, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth. All things were created by him and for him, and he holds all things together. Jesus had the first word in creation, and he will have the last word in creation. He will bring about the new heaven and the new earth. He is the first and the last. And as we talk about creation, creation is is beautiful. Creation is beautiful between going out and seeing mountains and the beauty of just what is outside of this room to even buildings and people and animals and just the intricacies of of creation. It, It is all beautiful. There are amazing and breathtaking things in our world. And when you look at everything, it can and you really think about it, it can be overwhelming how extraordinary our world is. But Jesus, he is not a part of creation. He is the creator. And if he created such an amazing place, how much more amazing must he be as the creator? All of history is about Jesus, and it is driven by him. We're just little small parts of his story. He is the first, he is the last, he is the beginning, and he is the end. And it says that Jesus died, but he is the living one. Guess what? Jesus is not going to die again. Okay? Jesus died, but he is the living one. He is alive forever and ever. He will never die again. And death is controlled by Jesus. When he says he has the keys, he means he has control. He has power. He has authority over death. That's why death couldn't hold him down. And that's why we, as believers, don't have to worry about death if we have trusted in him. He turns death into gain. Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain in Philippians. Death, for those of us who are in Christ, is a passing from this life to the next, to a glorious one with Jesus. If you keep reading in Revelation, you see that, especially the last couple of chapters You see the glorious things that wait for those who have put their hope in Christ, those who have been saved and redeemed. There is no other way except through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And you see that all through scriptures. Jesus is the only way to God the Father. He is the only way to eternal life. If you do not trust in him for salvation, you're left facing the punishment for your sin on your own, and that punishment is eternity in hell. If you've not trusted in Christ for your salvation, I encourage you to do so today. You need someone to save you from your sinful ways. And the only one who can do that is Jesus, and the Jesus that we have been talking about today. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can do that. You can call on the name of the Lord right now. You're sitting here in church. 
You can do it in a little bit as we get ready to wrap up. You can do it before you go home. You can do it when you get home. But don't wait. There is nothing and no one better than Jesus. And tomorrow is not promised. Life is short. And we never know when our time here is over. So in conclusion, as we talked about all the things that Jesus is here, what do you, what do, you do with that? Okay, that's great. There's Jesus. What do you do with it? Well, he is our foundation. He's central to our faith, our church, our lives. And in verse 3, what we read earlier, it said, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. You read along this morning. Blessed are those who hear it. You heard it this morning. And then, blessed are those who take to heart what is written in it. So now you have to do something with what you've been given. You have to put it into action. So, my question is, Will you take to heart this morning Jesus and who Jesus is? And there's a lot of things you can do in response to knowing Jesus, um, in response to his word, and in response to seeing his beauty and his majesty. Often we talk about things or people that we love. If you're around me long enough, you'll almost assuredly hear me talk about uh, national parks or different trips I've gone on because I love doing that. Hopefully, you'll hear me talk about Jesus, because I love Jesus. But the things we love, the people we love, the things we find beautiful, we spend time doing those things. We spend time with those people. We try to win other people over to whatever it is we love, to whoever we love. And Jesus is so much better. He's so much better than national parks and trips. He's so much better than whatever it is uh, that you love and we need to do the same thing with him. And when we, when, we aren't, when we aren't talking about Jesus, when he's not, you know, at the center, it just makes me wonder, as believers, if we've just kind of lost the beauty of Jesus. If we're not remembering how great he really is. And that's why I wanted to read through Revelation this morning. I believe many of us need to behold Jesus and recapture our awe of him. Recapture our love for him. As John goes on in Revelation, he's told to write to seven churches. And the first church in Ephesus is hard at work. They don't tolerate wickedness. They've persevered. They've endured hardship for the name of Jesus. Um, But he says that they have forsaken their first love. And Jesus tells them to repent and do the things they did at first. And that is a whole other sermon in and of itself. But if you think of the things you did at first as a believer and how you grew, you're spending time with Jesus in prayer, in the Word, talking about Him with other people, time spent in wonder and awe, time spent repenting. And that repentance part is important. John's response to seeing Jesus was to fall on His feet as though dead. Okay, And then Jesus lifts Him up and tells Him to write this. He gives Him a task to worship. This was John worshiping here as he's he's writing. Isaiah saw the Lord on his throne and his response was, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. And then coal is brought to his lips, and he is made clean like we are made clean by Jesus. And then God gives him a message and sends him out. And this is an act of obedience and worship on his part. So, 
Maybe your total response, taking Jesus to, the, to heart this morning, is a little different for everyone. But I, I do believe and propose that we respond in the same way that they did this morning. Some of us might have had our hearts warmed and awakened by the scripture we read this morning. And you were like, wow, Jesus is amazing. Some of you might not have felt anything, but the truth of who Jesus is hasn't changed. We all read this morning who Jesus is. These things are true, and he is deserving of our worship, of our praise, of our repentance, of our devotion, and our whole lives. So this morning, we're going to close with a couple of songs so the worship team can come up. And during this time, I encourage you, um, sing, pray, repent before the Lord, tell him, Jesus, you are worthy and you are holy. Praise him and worship him. And if you are here and you haven't trusted in Jesus, I encourage you to call out to him and ask him to save you. So as we worship in a moment, you're welcome to come forward. You're welcome to get on your knees. You're welcome to stay exactly where you are. You can stand up. You can sit down. You can lift your hands. But I can't think of a better way to start our year together as a church than to start in repentance and worship coming before the Lord. So pray with me. God, we thank you for your word we read in Revelation this morning. We thank you that we can know you and we can have eternal life with you through Jesus. God, we ask this morning that you would call those who don't know you out of darkness and into the light. Call them to yourself and grant them the gift of faith, the gift of salvation. Let there be rejoicing in heaven. Jesus, help us to behold you in all of your glory this morning. We want you to be the foundation of our church and our lives. Jesus, you are faithful. Thank you that you never lie and that we can trust you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for setting us free from our sins by your blood, the sacrifice of yourself. Thank you that you have made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve you. And Jesus, we declare an agreement with you that you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. Your wisdom and your power are unmatched. You are holy and you are pure and you are without sin and your eyes are like blazing fire piercing our hearts. You see all and you know all and you have all authority. And one day, Jesus, you will return and every eye will see you and know that you are God. And your voice will ring out like a trumpet loud and clear and all will fall on their knees in front of your brilliance. So we ask this morning that the two-edged sword of your word would pierce our hearts and move us to worship and repentance. Jesus, turn our hearts from wicked things, from trusting in ourselves. Turn us away from things that keep us from you. Open our eyes so that we may truly see that you are better than all of that, Jesus. Help us to behold you in all of your glory. And Jesus, we know that even if our hearts are cold right now, you can awaken them. You are the one that awakens them. And so we ask that you would do that so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth right now. And we pray this, Jesus, in your holy name. 
the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Amen.